Do you guys love this time of year? I, I, I love this time of year, but probably not for the reason that some of you shook your head. I love this time of year because almost, for the last two weeks anyway, almost any day you can turn on the television and what would you find? Football! Uh huh. Tom loves this time of year so much that he actually had elective surgery so that he could stay home and watch football, right? My mom, on the other hand, does not love football. Where's my mom? She's right there. She's been visiting. First, she visited my brother, uh, and then she's been visiting us during the holidays. And she mentioned to me the other day that she is so sick and tired of football, she can't stand it anymore. She's not a football fan. Uh, For those of you that might be afraid that that's what my sermon is about today because of the way I set this up, let me give you some peace. That is not what my sermon is about today. But um, I want to draw a story from that realm to share with you this morning that that I think will help to illustrate our scripture lesson today. Uh, On on New Year's Day, anybody watch the Rose Bowl? In the Rose Bowl, uh, there was a, a, a guy coaching his last game of the Rose Bowl, or in the Rose Bowl on Tuesday night. It was a guy named Urban Myers. Anybody not heard of him? He is the coach, or was the coach, of um, Ohio State University. Um, it was his last game because he retired at the ripe old age of 54. Now, and he is, now, here's what's weird. He retired at age 54, and he is one of the most successful football coaches in history. Uh, he's won a couple of, di- three, actually three different uh, national championships at two different schools. So it might cause you to ask the question, if he is that successful, if he's at the top of his profession, why would he choose to retire at 54? Well, if you know his story at all, um, there's a lot of reasons, actually. He's had some pretty significant health issues in, throughout the course of his, um, his adult life. Um, he's also, he is a self-professed workaholic, which isn't a good combination with somebody who has health problems and, and is a workaholic. But last but not least, um, he has been dogged, if you will, throughout his career uh, with some moral failings. Not, not for himself, not his personal moral failings. It was actually um, the moral failings of some of the people that have been under his leadership over the years. Now you're sitting here and you're, some of you are sitting back and say, wait a second, are you telling me that this guy has been judged? He literally, and some, some people would suggest, even though he wouldn't say it, some people would set, suggest that it was those moral failings of some of the people that were under his leadership that drove him out of the coaching profession. That doesn't hardly seem fair, does it? And it's not quite true. I mean, uh, well, let me just say this. That is the life of a leader. Leaders are held to a different um, set of rules than the average person. Now, it's not quite true that he was... He was um, judged according exclusively according to the moral failings of those those that were under his leadership but in some ways that's exactly what happened because he was the leader and it comes back on him and that's the point that I wanted to make to you this morning 
I wanted to share with you um, some truths about leadership. I wanted to share with you the fact that leaders, especially spiritual leadership, is held to a different um, accountability than most everybody else. Now, I'm going to drop that right there for just a second and bring you up to speed for those of you who uh, may have not been around for the last few months here at, at Prairie Bible Church. Before the holiday seasons, we had been in a uh, sermon series uh, about the marks of discipleship. Now, what does that mean? Basically, we had been on a journey to explore in the scriptures uh, Bible passages that would help us better become followers of Christ. That's what a disciple is, a follower of Christ. So those few months leading up to the holiday season, that's what we were focusing on, and that's what we're going to pick up focusing on as we move into 2019. As a matter of fact, much of 2019 is going to be focused on our becoming the followers of Christ, disciples of Christ. Ironically, however, the scripture that we're going to start with today on this first Sunday of the new year as we strive to be the followers of Christ we were called to be, our scripture lesson today is all about leadership. So, if you're interested in joining me on this journey, I invite you to open up your Bibles to uh, 1 Timothy uh, chapter 5. And as you're doing that, I'll try, as I, I do every week, to give you some context so you'll understand what this passage is, uh, is supposed to be teaching us. If you've been around at all, you've heard me say lots and lots of times that much of the New Testament uh, is actually letters that have been written by the Apostle Paul. And our, our scripture for today is one of those letters, but with a twist. Most of the letters that we have studied up to this particular point are letters that the Apostle Paul had written to the churches that he had helped to establish during the course of his career. This one, however, was not written to a church, but to an individual named Timothy. Now, who was Timothy? Timothy was a young man who Paul was mentoring to become a pastor of one of these churches. And his letter was intended to um, instruct him on how to establish a new church, a structure uh, for, for a successful ministry. Now, you may hear that and think, oh, that uh, 1 Timothy then is probably all about Paul laying out a strategy for how to build an administrative board or uh, do committees or this or that. That's not what he spends his time on primarily in this letter. You see, the human, that would have been the easy thing to do. The easy thing to do would have been create a a structure or a strategy for the administration of this new church. But here's the truth. If you could have the best structure and strategy for a new church possible. But if you don't have good and godly leaders, it means nothing at all. You'd have the best committee system in place that fits you perfectly. And if you don't have good and godly leaders, it means nothing at all. So what we find, especially in 1 Timothy chapter 3, but it's scattered all throughout, but especially in chapter 3, what you'll find is uh, Paul telling Timothy, these are the qualities that you ought to be looking for as you lift up leaders in your new church. 
Now, I'm not going to take time this morning to go over what those qualities are. Hopefully, you'll go back and do that. And like I said, I I can point you directly to chapter 3, but read the whole book. It's pretty short. But if you want to know specifically, go back to 1 Peter chapter 3, and it'll start laying out for you some of the qualities for leadership. And what you will discover is this, that um, these these expectations of leaders um, make it hard for a lot of people to even qualify. They're pretty high standards. In fact, I would go so far as to say that um, everyone in that church, everyone in this church for that matter, would struggle to live up to those standards for the most part. Now, at this particular point, you're probably thinking, who in their right mind then would want to be a spiritual leader in a church? And the answer is, nobody in their right mind should want to be a spiritual leader in the church. Because it's hard. And as I've already established, being a, if you choose to be a spiritual leader in a church, you will be held to a higher accountability than everybody else. That's not a very good sales job, is it? So how do we go about getting leadership? If the standards are so high, if it's such a hard job, if we know we're going to fail, how do we go about even finding people to be leaders? It's actually pretty simple. You should never give the mantle of leadership to the people that want it. You should only give it to the ones that feel called. There's a big difference. Because if, if you just want it and if for whatever reason, um, you're not going to be coming into it with the right attitude. The reason why Paul set the standards, by the way, inspired by the Holy Spirit, the reason why he set the standards so high was that people would approach the whole concept with fear and trembling. That people would realize that I can't do this. The only way that is possible for me or anybody else to do this thing called leadership, to be spiritual leaders in a church, is for me to humble myself before the Lord and say, here I am. If you can use me, Lord, you have me. That's the only appropriate attitude in which to approach Spiritual leadership. I am a sinner saved by grace. I can't do this. It's too hard. But Lord, if you're calling me, I know that I can do all things because you have promised that you will strengthen me. So, that is the lead up to the passage of Scripture that Sarah read for us today. Knowing all those things, knowing how high the standards are, knowing how um, hard it is to fulfill this, this mantle of spiritual leadership, Paul says this. He says, the elder or the leader who does the work of the church well is worthy of double honor. Now, you can talk about what that means. There's... Um, There are a lot of different ways maybe you could interpret that. But listen to what I'm saying. The elder or the church leader who does the work of the church well is worthy of double honor. 